Philippians chapter number three. Hope you've had a great week, and uh, God is so good to us, isn't he? Man, he's so good to us, and uh, pastor preached chapel today to our young people in the Christian school, and uh, his message title uh, was, Who's Your Best Friend? And he talked about Abraham being a friend of God, and boy, he challenged us, and I know, I know he meant the message for the kids, but boy, I was getting convicted as well. It was good, and uh, I just love uh, being around God's people and the Word of God. I need it. I don't know about you, but I certainly need it. Philippians chapter number three, we're going to read uh, four verses here, verses one and two, then we'll skip down and ver- read verses 18 and 19. We started off uh, talking about, uh, two weeks ago, our, our title was an instructional greeting. We did chapter one, verses one through five. We did the first five verses there. It talked about a reminder of church order, the results of consistent obedience, which were grace and peace, and then rejoicing in a companionship ongoing. Then last week, we talked about a new nature expressed, Philippians chapter two. Uh, remember, let this mind be in you. Remember that, talked about our new nature that we have through Christ. Now, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. You remember that. And we talked about how we have to mutilate strife. And how do we mutilate strife? See, the devil wants to stir up strife. That's what he wants to do. We can't allow that to happen. How do we do that? Uh, We must be like-minded. We must be lowly-minded, the Bible says. And we learn we must master self. And boy, that's the hardest thing in the world, to control ourselves, to tell ourselves what to do, and then to listen. (laughs) That's hard. Uh, We talked about the enemy of elevation, where we lift ourselves up, the enemy of ego the enemy of evasion. Then we talked about how that we must have the mind of the Savior, harmonious mind, a mind that lines up with His way of thinking. That's when we find true joy in our lives. When, when, we, when we see how He thinks and we line ourselves up, boy, that's where it's at, uh, the harmonious mind. We said a humble mind and a helpful mind. So today we're going to be in chapter 3. So the first one we did chapter 1, the first five verses. Uh, last week, chapter 2, the first eight verses. Today will be chapter 3, and then after tonight, that's our halfway point. It's only a six-week elective, uh, so after tonight, then the next three weeks will all be in chapter 4. There's a lot in chapter 4, and so we'll spend most of our time there. So chapter 3 tonight, just verses 1 and 2, and then 18 and 19. If you'd read responsively, if you would, let me read the, e- the odd-numbered verses out loud by myself, and if you would read the even-numbered verses with me out loud, that'd be great. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Can we read out loud? Verse 2, ready, begin. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For many walk, verse 18, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. That was an even numbered verse. But because we went from 2 to 18, I messed it up. So you read 19 with me, would you? All right, read 19. Obviously, my masculines need help. Ready to begin. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Thank you. You may be seated. Nothing moves without friction. If we're going to proceed on this journey of joy, there will always be something in our paths, uh, traps, hurdles, potholes, uh, uh, to jeopardize our destination. Within chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul reminds us of our enemy. He says, lest Satan should get advantage of us. That's our enemy. He's always trying to trip us up. Always. The devil never takes the day off, does he, Pastor Senior? He never does. He's always trying to mess us up. Always trying to uh, throw throw a wrench in, in what we're trying to do for God. He's always trying to get us off track. And ultimately, his goal is to empty us 
of our joy in Christ. Because he knows that a Christian that lives his life without the joy of Christ will soon no longer live like a Christian. And that's the way it goes. Uh, we see these things where, where people used to be in church, and man, they used to be over here. Man, they used to be the Sunday school teacher, and they'd be amening the preacher, and, and they're singing in the choir. And, and then some years later, we find them over here, and they won't even darken the door of a church. We find out what happened. Well, what happened is they lost their joy. And when you lose your joy, you cannot long run the Christian life that way. It's like running a car without any engine oil. It won't last very long. It'll run for a little bit. Then it's going to get tough, and it's going to get hot, and it's not going to work well after a bit. And it's going to be, you know, on the, on the side of the road. And so joy is so important. We have to keep that joy in Christ. Uh, in athletics, the better prepared you are, the better you'll play. How many played athletics in high school? You played athletics? What did you play, Brother Glenn? Basketball. Very nice. The Filipino Steph Curry right there, man. That's awesome. And uh, basketball. Who else played sports? KJ, did you play sports? Basketball as well? Wow, we have a basketball team in this class. I like it, I like it. Hey, who, who else played sports? What did you play, Thomas? Baseball, baseball. Who played baseball in high school? Baseball players, all right. Uh, oh, you know, when it comes to athletics, the better prepared you are, the better you'll play. You don't just show up there one day and say, hey, okay, I'll join, I'll join your team. Boom, that's, that's not the way it works. You have to practice. Um, and the scouting reports are vital to good preparation. In this lesson, Paul gives us a scouting report on our enemy and how he will attempt to circumvent our joy. God's joy, unlike the world's, is not temporary. The devil, however, tries to block any momentum in our lives by stealing our joy. Knowing what's coming can help us snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. So what are some objectives of our lesson tonight? Number one, to make us aware of the enemy and alert to the tactics he will use to steal the joy of the Christian life. Have you ever gone through a day, maybe through a week, and, and at the end of that week, maybe pastor's up there preaching, and, and, and he mentions something about the devil always working, and you think back that week and say, man, I know the devil was doing something this past week, but you didn't realize he was. You know what I'm talking about? And you look back and say, man, he was really trying hard. And boy, we have to, we have to be alert to what he's trying to do. Number two, to remind us of the origin of joy and the ongoing requirement to maintain that joy. You see, we may have joy one day, but it doesn't mean you're going to have joy the next day. Your car doesn't always stay washed, does it? No. Your teeth don't always stay brushed, do they? No. And guess what? Our joy doesn't always stay full. It doesn't. And we have to maintain that. So what do we have to do? So we talk about maintaining that joy. Uh, to alert us to the fact that sometimes the enemy lies within as well as without. To help us develop a discernment between truth and error. And to teach us patience in a culture that wants everything microwaved. I love the promise in John 10.10. 10, the last half of the verse says this. I am come, Jesus says, that they might have life. If you know, if you know it, help me. That they might have it, what? More abundantly. That's a great verse. Here we are, dead in trespasses and sin, Ephesians tells us, and yet God desires to bring us to life, not only eternally, but on this earth as well. Not just eternal life, but abundant life here. That's what God wants for us. But we dare not skip over the first part of that verse. John 10, 10a says this, the thief cometh. The thief cometh. And says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And it reminds you that thief, he's coming after you to destroy your joy, and much more than that if we let him. And that's what he's after. God is the joy giver, but Satan is the joy killer. God is the what? Joy giver, and Satan is the joy killer. So God is the, 
God is the? Very good. Satan is the? Joy killer. Every day we must submit to one or the other. Every day. God cannot rule in the throne room of our hearts if Satan is dwelling in the cellar of our thoughts. Remember, Satan, though, is a defeated foe. Greater is he that's in you, the Bible says, than he that is in the world. Uh, say when he, sorry, excuse me, he wants to rob your joy. But here's the great news. While the devil is trying as hard as he can to find a crack in your Christianity, to find that window he can go through, to find that little door you've left, oh, while he's trying to do that, may I encourage you, while he's trying to rob our joy, we don't have to let him. We're not helpless against his attacks. We're not. And so today, we're going to look as we dive into this chapter 3 and learn about what can, what can oppose and even steal, if we're not careful, our joy so we can battle it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this Bible that we have we get to look at tonight. Thank you for these, your dear people. Got to look across this room and see many that have, have lived for you, God, longer than I've even been alive. What a blessing and encouragement, example they are to me and to all of us. I pray as we look into your word tonight, you'd help us see uh, what are some hurdles to our joy, some things that, that if we let them, God, they'll suck our joy dry. And, we, and God, we won't soon, we won't long serve you, God. We'll soon quit if we don't have the fullness of joy that you can give us and only you. Help us, I pray, as we look in your word tonight. Bless the other classes, God. Of course, the Spanish, God bless their service. And pastor and passionate parenting, the discipleship, Lord, the kids. May you get honor and glory all across this property tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Take out your notes if you would. Number one, let's look at this. In verse number one of chapter three, we see some delayed instruction, some delayed instruction. Before we get into uh, these oppositions, let's look at this first verse here. We see some delayed instruction. Paul is finally getting to his theme for this letter. The finally of this verse is not an indication that he's about to finish. He's only halfway through, but rather it's the indication that he's finally arrived at the subject that was upon his heart when he wrote this, uh, this book. It's kind of like the finally, uh, when, when, when you mothers finally get to sit at the table and eat at dinner time. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, you, you prepared the meal and, uh, and you go to sit down and, and she, oh, can I have some ranch? And so mama gets up and, and gets that. And then, and then I, sometimes in the middle of the meal or before the meal starts, I'll try to get up and get it. My wife won't let me. What are, what are you doing? I'm just going to get, no, 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 don't do that. And, and I said, baby, you need to eat. Let me get, no, no, she won't let me. And so, so I sit down and she goes and gets that and, and throughout the meal. And then finally, finally, she, the mom gets to sit down and gets to enjoy. Now it's cold. Now she has to microwave. You know what I'm saying. But that's the finally here. Not finally like this, the end. She hasn't even started eating yet. So it's not the end, but finally we've reached the point where we've, where we've set out to go from the beginning. And that's where Paul is here. Finally, uh, he, he's going he's to uh, touch what, well, what the point of this book is and what he's trying to get across to the Philippians here. While some of this instruction is repetitious, Paul realizes that repetition is the key to learning. Letter A, let's look at this. Joy comes through one source. You see, Paul alludes to this fact and says it a couple different ways, and it's not because he forgot he already told them. He does it on purpose because he wants us to remember, he wants them to remember this uh, very starkly. Joy comes through one source. Finally, my brethren, rejoice where? In the Lord. Happiness can come through any number of sources, but true joy can only come from the Lord. Many people find happiness in a vacation or something new or in a promotion that gives them more financial wealth or social status, but those temporary moments of exhilaration do not provide long-lasting joy. The true joy that God gives can come to someone that has absolutely nothing. 
Paul later in this epistle says this, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. A joyful contentment is not found in our circumstances, but rather in our resources with Christ in us. We have a resource that is always present, no matter what the circumstances might be. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, you know the promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a promise. I think about my boys, Chris and Cyrus, will be downstairs and and it'll be time for bed or, or time for us to go upstairs. Maybe they're down there using the restroom before bed or washing their hands or cleaning something up. And I'll say, okay, boys, let's go upstairs. And, and, uh, and I'll go ahead of them. And one of my boys, either Chris or Cyrus, will say, daddy, daddy, daddy. I'll look and, and he'll say, daddy, wait, don't leave me. <laughs> Why? They're afraid of whatever's down there. <laughs> and uh, they, they don't want me to be, they don't want me to go up without them. They want to go with me. But, but they say, don't leave me. And so I'll stay there and wait till they're ready. I'll go with them. And I say, he never leaves us. Oh, he's always there for us. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Dr. John Getsch, the evangelist, uh, recounts this story. I think it can be a help. He says this, while preaching in a small town of Montana, Dr. Getsch says, the pastor took me to see a man named John, who at that time was the newest billionaire in America. He was a lost man. And the pastor had befriended him and witnessed to him on numerous occasions. He and his brothers were owners of one of the largest brewing companies in America. This man was extremely educated, particularly about religion. And Dr. Getsch says, I was no match for his knowledge of history. He lived in a large house that had a trophy room that was about 50 feet long and 25 feet wide. It was filled with wild game he had hunted from all over the world. He said, I'll never forget the coffee table that was made out of, out of an elephant's ear. Uh, just incredible as he walked into this man's house. He was a large man, he recounts. He'd say well over 400 pounds, and he never moved from an oversized chair in the living room. He said the house reeked with the refuse of his dogs who were never let outside, and the stale alcohol coming from the leftover cans and bottles streamingly strewn everywhere in the house. Around his chair were stacks of letters up to the armrests from people and corporations asking him for donations. He was a very bitter and angry man with no friends, no family that cared about him. He would call the pastor every few days and ask him to pick up some things from the store for him to eat. With over a billion dollars to his name, a beautiful house, a brand new recreational vehicle parked in the driveway that had never been driven yet, and guns and knives numbering in the hundreds all over the house, he was miserable. Now, you may never live in a brand new house. You may never hunt wild game you know, in Africa. You may never vacation in a brand new RV or have a portfolio of a billion dollars, but you can have joy in the Lord. You can. And, and Psalm 1611 says this, that will show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Joy comes through one source and it's only through the Lord, only through him. Uh, the other day, uh, my daughter was practicing piano in one of the modulars. She takes lessons from Brother Russell, and, and so she was on through schoolwork, so she was going to take some time to practice the piano, but it's in the classroom, and so uh, obviously it can't be turned up loud because other students are working in there. So I bought her a pair of headphones that she can plug in to the, to the keyboard. Uh, that way she can practice piano while the students are uh, doing their schoolwork and she won't disturb anybody. And so I said, come on, Phoebe, it's time for you to do your, uh, do your piano. Come to, the, come to the, the piano there. So she sits at the keyboard, and, and I'm looking at, the back of, looking at the back panel of this keyboard, and, and it, ha- it has a spot that says pedal, and 
I know these aren't a pedal, I'm, at least that's smart, so I, so I don't plug it in there, and, and I'm looking at these other things, and uh, this one says auxiliary out right, and this one says auxiliary out left slash right. I said, well, I'm guessing that's the one. And so I plug it in there, and, uh, and we go to the piano, and man, I have the volume turned all the way up, Brother Wilkins, as loud as it can go, and she can barely hear it. And I thought, well, I don't know, sweetheart, I don't know what's going on with it, but that, that's what it says. So I, I said, can you hear it? She shook her head, yes. Yeah. I said, okay, well, you just have to use it. So she used it. And so then, so then I went to Google, right? I said, man, I must be doing something wrong, Brother Renison. What am I doing wrong? And so I, it should be as simple as you just plug it in and it works. And so I look it up and, and it says, our Yamaha digital pianos, they all have right in the front on the left. I said, oh, I didn't see that one. I'm sure it wasn't there. I'm sure it wasn't there. And so I go over there. Sure enough, there it was right in the front, headphones. It even says phone. That's where it's supposed to go. And, and, and so, uh, so I said, Phoebe, uh, the next day, I said, Phoebe, let's, let's try it here. I plugged it in. Man, we only need that thing maybe a quarter of the way up in the volume slider, and it was so loud she could finally hear it. She was getting the full effect now because she was plugged into the right source. Too many Christians are plugged into the wrong source, and their joy level is this much. They only come to church once a month. I'm preaching to the choir here on a Wednesday night, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, fussing you. Um, but, but, they, but they come to church once a month. They, they, they never give to the Lord. And they wonder why they don't have any joy. They're not plugged into Christ. I mean, they're saved. That's not what I mean. They're saved, but they're not plugged into the source where they're getting joy from the Lord. And that's the only true source. Joy comes through one source, and that's through him. Uh, letter B, joy continues through ongoing steadfastness. So joy comes through that one source, but it continues through ongoing steadfastness. Look at the last part of verse 1. He says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. So to write the same things to you, what does that mean? Is he saying to write this, the things to you that I wrote to another church? Is that what he's talking about? And at first it may seem that's what it says, because maybe that's the way we would use it, but that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is to write the same things, in other words, to repeat what I'm writing to you. I've written this and to write the same thing to you, he says, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. He's saying, I'm going to tell you again. And I'm going to tell you again because it's so important. If you want to keep spiritually safe, you really have to get this. So joy continues through ongoing steadfast. We must guard against the spirit in our hearts. Listen, please. We must guard against the spirit in our hearts that says, I've heard all this before. Oh, boy. If we ever get to that point in our Christianity, we can come to a church service, we can open the word of God, we can say, oh yeah, I've heard that, and it doesn't do something inside of us, that's a dangerous spot to be in, my friends. You don't want to get to that place. You don't want to get there. Paul recognizes that what he is telling them is not new, but it is, it is the keeping of the old paths that bring blessing. We all have favorite foods, beverages, cars, clothes, vacation spots, airline stores, etc. And while we all enjoy something new once in a while, we get joy and satisfaction out of the true and tested things in life. How many, when you go to a restaurant, you know what you're getting before you walk in the door? Most, right? Some not. Some, some they're adventurous and they always want to try something different and then they're disappointed, right? You know, that's just, that's just the way it goes. You stick with what you know. You stick with, you stick with what's tried and true. And you go in there and, and uh, when I go to Chili's, it's always the honey chipotle chicken crispers. Always. It's just what it is. I know, I know that when I pay whatever I'm paying, I'm not going to walk away disappointed wishing I got something else. So I, I just do what I know I'm going to like. And, and, and guess what? Even though I've had that a lot of times before, it doesn't dissuade me from getting it again. I've had 
a double-double from In-N-Out many times. But when I go through the line, I'm not thinking, man, I've had that so many times. I don't think I ever want that again. No, 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 no. It's so good that guess what? I'll get it again because that's how good it is. It's tried and true, and I know it's going to help me in my life, and so I get it. May I say, the things that are true and tested in life, those are the things we go back to. May I say, there's nothing more tried and true and tested in our lives than this book that I hold in my hand. May we never get tired of the Word of God. We never seem to tire of a good old hamburger or the favorite sweatshirt. You know what I'm talking about in the winter, you wear it every day, you know what I'm saying, uh, or a familiar store. Yet somehow we conclude the Bible is out of date and it, need to, it doesn't meet our needs. There's value in ongoing, continuous instruction from the Word of God. And we never tire of hearing the gospel. Oh, when our pastor gets up there on Sunday morning, you know what I'm talking about. He transitions a little bit from, uh, from, 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 from preaching some practical things, uh, maybe for the Christians, and he, he transitions to the gospel. You know what I'm talking about. And he starts to go through the Roman. Don't, don't, don't turn that off. No, 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 no. We ought to enjoy hearing the gospel. It ought to help us. I mean, we never tire of that. If you were to read through a book in the Bible every day for 25 days, take a book like 1 John. If you were to read it every day for a month, I guarantee you that every day you read it, God would show you something. He would. But it's the same, it's the same word that I'm reading. I, I know, but that's how wonderful the Bible is. Oh, it'll help you. I mean, we never tire of it. I was talking with someone this past week, and, and we, were, we were out to lunch and <clears throat> talking about just different things in life and the church, and, and he said, you know, he said, I have a question for you. He said, how come I can read a, a, a scripture, I can read a passage, and the Lord will tell me one thing, and then a year later or sometime later, I'll read the same exact passage, and God will tell me something else. I said, hey, that's because that's a supernatural book you're reading, my friend. <laughs> that's God. Oh, what an incredible book. Dr. Getch is known for having memorized an incredible amount of scripture. And uh, many of you, I think, were here last time he came to preach here. Uh, but he says that for years he has memorized scripture and has spent hours and hours reviewing the same verses over and over again. He spent about 200 hours on every verse he's memorized. Amazingly, he said, as many times as he goes through these verses, he sees and understands truth he had never comprehended before. It's just the depths of the word of God. Uh, David came to a point in his life where joy was missing. You know why? He sinned. His walk with the Lord had been interrupted by the will of his lust, and that one night stand with Bathsheba brought some momentary pleasure to his flesh, but left him with a sorrow that was unbearable. In repentance, he comes to God, and he cries this, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Is joy missing? There's only one source. And once it's received, it's only maintained through ongoing steadfastness. Only as we continue in the right path, do we get renewed joy? Only as we continue in the path of God's word do we get renewed joy. The runner who quits doesn't get the second win. The runner who quits doesn't get the second win. Only as he continues the race will he receive that renewal. The child of God who quits on the Father's will has kissed his joys goodbye. I'm telling you, that's the way it works. Uh, we've seen it time and time again. Uh, do you want to maintain joy? Keep living for God. You want to maintain joy? Keep attending church. Keep living pure and clean. Keep being a witness. Keep serving in the church. Keep resisting the devil. Keep denying your flesh. Keep submitting to the Spirit. Stay steadfast. That ongoing steadfastness will maintain that joy in your life. I know sometimes our flesh gets weary and tired. I understand that. And you think, man, I'm doing this and this, and sometimes I don't always feel like doing it. 
And sometimes you feel like if, if I just didn't do it, I would feel more relaxed and I'd feel better. But that's not the way it works. You take a step back from God, oh, you lose that joy. I'm not saying there aren't life changes. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. But it's so important that we realize that there's only one source of joy and it's only maintained through ongoing steadfastness. So number two, let's get to some of these obstacles, some of these uh, uh, oppositions to our joy. Number two, let's look at some deceptive imposters. Some deceptive imposters. So verse one, we see some delayed instruction. Let's look at some deceptive <coughs> imposters. While the devil has many weapons in his arsenal, perhaps his favorite and most effective is deception. 2 Corinthians 11 says this, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Revelation 20, verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Satan talks a good game, but he targets a different goal. We must stay on guard, unless 2 Corinthians says this, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. We are not ignorant of his devices. Paul instructs us to beware of three things. And boy, I have about 10 or 15 minutes. I got to hurry. Paul instructs us to beware of three things. Number one, write it down if you would. Beware of inattentiveness. Beware of inattentiveness. Look at chapter two, verse, uh, chapter three, excuse me, chapter three, verse two. Beware, he says, of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. What does that word beware mean? It means to look. It means to look. Beware. Uh, pay attention. Don't keep your head down. Be on the lookout. And it says beware of dogs. I remember one time, and many of you that, uh, that have worked the bus ministry or maybe do deliveries, uh, you know you have to beware of dogs. For one time we were out visiting this, this bus family, and, and, and we, we would go there every week. These were faithful kids. And they had, uh, they had a little chihuahua. Can't stand. I'm sorry if you have one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But boy, those things drive me crazy. And, uh, you know, you can see why God made lions and, and chihuahuas. I have no idea. Uh, but, 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 but they had this little chihuahua mix thing that was there. And, and, and as, as we were there talking with the kids, I'm watching it. You know, it's watching me. And, you know, it's there. It's got a little, you know, and it's watching me. And I'm watching it. And I'm talking to the bus kids. Hey, see you Sunday. Blah, blah, and all this stuff. And, and then, then I begin to, to turn to go. And, and then I hear it. Yeah. And so I, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I'm pretty sure I ran. All I remember is I didn't make it, KJ. I didn't make it. And, and it nipped my Achilles, just, just a very, very, very tip. Got me. I thought, man, he got me. And uh, I came back the next night. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. And, uh, and, but, but it got me. Uh, but, but, you know, if, if, if you're not aware, it's much harder to get away. I was aware and I was too slow. I didn't get away anyway. But if you're not aware, boy, you're in trouble. And Paul says here, you need to beware. You need to look out for some things. Because if you don't, they're going to hurt you. These dogs. Now, I won't get too deep into this. Uh, but these were those who were trying to bring the, 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 the saved back into Judaism. We'll get to that in a little bit. Back into trying to keep the law in order to be saved. So in other words, these were those who were doing them spiritual harm. And may I say, we must beware of that. We'll learn that for the Philippians, it was those who were trying to persuade them that that works were necessary for salvation. Uh, But we need to be careful of those that can spiritually harm us. A dog is most dangerous when you're surprised. When you're aware of a dog's presence, you can stay in front of him, keep him at bay by facing him. But when he's able to take you by surprise, you can become helpless. Dr. Getch relates the story. He says that a pastor and him made a visit on a family and found a lady in the yard working. 
Her seven-year-old son was outside as well, and after some brief words, uh, they were invited to step in the house out of the heat for a few moments. We walked through the garage, stood in the kitchen, shared some things about the church, gave the gospel to her. She promised to speak with her husband, see if they could attend one of the services. We said our goodbyes and began to exit the door leading into the garage. About halfway across the garage, I patted her son on the head, he said, and said something like, I'm glad I got to meet you too, young man. As my hand touched his head, I heard something crash behind me from behind the parked car inside the garage. As I turned to look, he says, my eyes were met with those of a giant St. Bernard as he was lunging toward my right hamstring with his mouth wide open. He says, at the last instant, I jumped back and his jaws snapped shut. The lady screamed at him. He made a beeline out the door. That dog took the responsibility of protecting that little boy very seriously, and he almost got me, he says. Have you ever wondered how the disciples could forsake the Lord in their greatest hour of need? How could these great men who had been with them for three years just run at the moment of his betrayal? They allowed themselves to become inattentive. As they came to the garden that night, Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus began to be sorrowful and very heavy. He saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he comes unto the disciples and findeth them, what? Sleep. Saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. That you enter not in temptation, the spirit need is willing, but the flesh is weak. He warned them and pleaded with them to watch and pray. But they were inattentive and fell asleep. Is it any wonder that we read later on those sad words, then all the disciples forsook him and fled? No doubt men like Peter didn't think it would ever happen to them. You know the story. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. You can see him. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise said all the disciples. We would never do that, Lord. And Jesus said, okay, come with me. Watch and pray. They listened to him. And I'm not casting stones at the disciples. I'm not saying we would do any better. But their inattentiveness was their downfall. First Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Oh, beware, beware. I like this quote. Attrition, which is the gradual stepping back in the Lord's work. Attrition in the Lord's work always follows a lack of attention the Lord's words. Attrition in the Lord's work always follows a lack of attention to the Lord's word. Beware, pay attention, stay focused on the Lord and the mission. So let's beware of attentiveness. Letter B, I got to hurry. Let's beware of infiltration. Beware of infiltration. Look at the verse. It says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. Beware of evil workers. God warns us here of an inside job. On one hand, uh, 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter uses the metaphor of a roaring lion to describe how Satan operates against us. But in Matthew 7, he points out another animal. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Here's another one of Satan's deceptive ploys. Of course, we're not going to let a wolf in among the sheep, but if he looks like a sheep, perhaps we won't notice. Notice here in our verse that these are evil workers. That means injurious. They're trying to cause harm. They're right alongside others in the work, but dangerously seeking to destroy. Paul faced this to see in Galatians 2. He says this, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in. Every once in a while, you can smell a wolf in the church house looking to steal some sheep. One Sunday night after a service, he tells a story. A very sharp couple approached my wife and me. This is not us. This is the evangelist, Dr. John Getch. He's relating a story here. And he said, uh, this couple approached Dr. Getch and his wife said, you'll be coming to our home for dinner tomorrow night. We're, We're really looking forward to having you. I said that we would likewise be looking forward to our time together. The next day, however, the pastor informed us that he would not be joining us for this dinner at this member's house. 
When I inquired the reason why, since that was our policy laid out in advanced material, he said, my wife and I were not invited, the pastor said to, to, to the preacher, to the evangelist. The evangelist said to the pastor, Pastor, I smell something here and I don't like the odor. I don't think I want to go either. He assured me there was no problem and wanted us to go and have a good time. He relates the story. Uh, we did, but I had decided to go on offense. As we were invited into their home that evening, I took about two steps inside the door, looked at the man and his wife and said, I sure am enjoying the fellowship with your pastor this week. He's a great man of God and you're privileged to have him as your pastor. I'm sorry he couldn't join us tonight. <laughs> Would you believe that after we were ushered to a seat at the table and prayer was offered, not another word was spoken. <laughs> Other than pass the potatoes, there was nothing, no conversation. They invited us over, he said, in an attempt to get me on their side against the pastor, he says. And I bombed their missile before they could even get it launched. <laughs> they didn't return to the meetings, as I recall, and I'm sure it wasn't long until they were in someone else's fold looking for sheep. He says, I've not been one to start fires, but I'm all for putting them out when I see them. May I encourage you briefly, and I have to move on, uh, but let's not, uh, uh, let's beware of those who would want to talk ill about others in the church, especially spiritual leadership like our pastor. Oh, beware. Be very careful. Now, no one's perfect. We understand that. No one's perfect. Uh, But there's no benefit to us tearing one another down. No benefit to that. Uh, We ought to be praying for each other, the Bible says. Our speech ought to be for edification, building up. It's so important to support through prayer and encouraging our pastor, his family, and the church family. God blesses an encouraging church. Beware of infiltration. That word evil workers means injurious, harmful. Instead of that, uplift, encourage, support. Proverbs 25, 23 says this, The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance, a backbiting tongue. What does that mean? That means, for example, if Brother Alex had a bad spirit, and he never does. Don't tell me if he does. I've never seen it. And uh, uh, if he had a bad spirit, and he comes up to me and says, Brother Chris, I got to talk about Brother Wilkins. And he begins to give me this laundry list of stuff. The Bible says an angry countenance drives that away. Brother. <laughs> Brother. Hey, that's what the Bible says. It doesn't have to be mean. But an angry countenance, it drives away a backbiting tongue. I remember there's a lady in our church, uh, when, when, when someone wants someone want to gossip to her, she would say, these ears are not trash cans. <laughs> May I say, don't, don't be a spy where people can just dump evil about others on you. Don't be that. Don't do that. Beware of inattentiveness. Beware of infiltration. Letter C. I have about five minutes. Oh, boy. I got a lot to do. Here we go. Buckle up. Letter C. Beware of indoctrination. I got to breeze through these here. Beware of indoctrination. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. That concision, that word had its roots back in Judea and is mentioned in Acts 15.1. The Bible says, certain men which came from down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And so what they were doing is they were saying, before you can become a Christian, you have to become a Jew. You have to do this rite of passage, if you will, before you can be saved. Obviously, that's not grace. That's not what, 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 what is true. But they were trying to pull them back into that. They're trying to bring the law back into the gospel. But Paul made it very clear uh, that you do not need to do that to be saved. He even said this in Galatians, I marvel you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Let me say briefly, when something doesn't line up with scripture, be careful. If it sounds fishy and off, it probably is. (laughs) 
Oh, we must be so careful. And I wish I could spend time here. But three times in the New Testament, God proclaims a simple warning. Be not deceived. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Doctrine and true, straight doctrine, clear doctrine is so very important. Jude 3 talks about earnestly contending for the faith. Uh, fight for truth in your life. Don't get deceived. You must be so very careful about that. And I have to skip, I have to hurry here. So we see some delayed instruction, some deceptive imposters. Number three, I'm going to finish. Some destructive immediacy. Let's hurry. Some destructive immediacy. We'll look at verses 18 and 19. We'll be done. We'll skip some verses here in the chapter and go to 18 and 19. And these become very, uh, some warnings here become very individualized and personal. Remember, though, when the apostle said at the beginning about getting weary of repetition, uh, he's saying, hey, don't worry. The the things that I'm writing to you, I'm going to write to you again. I'm going to tell you again and again and again. That's on purpose. He's reminding us again that, that, that joy has its opposition. We dare not let our guard down. If you unlock your heart for just a moment, the thief will rob you of your joy. Letter A, watch out for fleshly carnality. Look at verse number 18 and verse 19. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. We see you to watch out for fleshly carnality. What a sad commentary, whose God is their belly. Paul addressed this in Corinth. He says, I couldn't speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with me, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal, he says. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Now, let me encourage us and challenge us to look in the spiritual mirror. Am I still a baby Christian even though I've been saved for a long while? Am I constantly battling envy and petty jealousies within the church? Uh, am I at odds with family members and church leaders? Am I divided constantly between the right, wrong, good and evil, the flesh and the spirit? If so, Paul says you're worshiping the wrong God. You're worshiping yourself. That your God is yourself. Are you saved? Then it's time to crucify the flesh. Paul says in Galatians 5, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Deny the flesh, fleshly, carnal, ungodly desires that you have. How? Verse 25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I know our flesh cries out for attention and wants to be in control. Every second of every day, our flesh wants to drive us. Every single moment. Uh, those, Those desires are always there for all sorts of ungodly things. But when the flesh is in control... Guess who's not? God. When the flesh is in control, God is not. And when God is not in control, our opportunity for a joy-filled life is gone. Because joy only comes through Him. If we're truly born again, we should be experiencing victory over our carnal flesh. And I'm going to hurry here. Uh, I know what time it is. We've got to hurry. Remember that joy that the flesh produces is temporary. But the joy the Spirit produces is eternal. 1 John 2, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the world, what? Passeth away. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Watch out for fleshy carnality. It's so easy to be carnal. Oh, it's so easy to be carnal. You know, Brother Lorenzo, I don't have to work hard to be fleshly. I don't have to grind it out. Oh, I got to work real hard to be fleshly. No, I don't have to, Brother Mendelssohn. It comes naturally. I got to work hard to, to battle that carnal attitude, that fleshly attitude in my life. Watch out for fleshly carnality. Let her be. Watch out for foolish conceitedness. I'm almost done. Watch out for foolish conceitedness. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. A man knows more bad things about himself than anyone else, and yet no one thinks more highly of himself. 
When you do a little background check on the Apostle Paul, he probably had more to boast about than any Christian mentioned in the Bible. But he said, yet of myself, I will not glory, Paul said. He said in 1 Timothy 1, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the earth to save sinners of whom I am chief, Paul said. The worst inflation in the world is an inflated ego. Proverbs 25, 27, it's not good to eat much honey, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. Watch out for fleshly carnality. Watch out for foolish conceitedness. Let her see. I have to, I have to finish. Let her see. Watch out for foreign control. Look at verse 19, the very end. Speaking of these who are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is discharged, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, he says this lastly, who mind earthly things. It is said of those in the hall of faith, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed them. They were strangers and pilgrims on earth. May I remind you of that song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven, so while we are here in this strange land, we must watch out for foreign control. We must not allow, he says here, that what are their earth, they mind earthly things. That doesn't mean, he's not saying that you can't think about things on this earth. We live here, we have to, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that their mind is focused and consumed with just all that goes on down here. My friends, this is not our home. We can't allow this to consume us. We must be thinking of eternity because everything we do here will affect our eternity. Uh, of course, the decision for salvation, but then also rewards and, and things in heaven. So watch out for foreign control. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Paul said, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He said, I, I can do a lot of things. That doesn't mean I should do a lot of things. I have to be careful and do what God wants me to do. As a born-again believer, you're part of the bride of Christ. And one day the trumpet will sound, the bridegroom will return to catch his bride away and take us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a great gathering that will be. But I'm afraid when Christ comes, he's going to find his bride flirting with the world. Hey, what do you mean? Do you have James 4, 4 in your notes? Is it in there? Look at this. Look, look what analogy James uses. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. He was kind of a soft preacher, I think. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. What are you saying? He's saying, you belong to Christ. But you're being unfaithful to him is what he's saying. Know ye not the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Belief should impact our behavior. If we belong to Christ, we should bear his likeness. He said to the church at Colossae, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, and ornate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. In other words, before ye were saved. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We focus on earthly, worldly things far too much. And I'm preaching to myself. We allow these things on the earth that for eternity will not matter. And that's not to say you can't enjoy having a nice car, you can't enjoy a nice meal. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's so easy to get wrapped up in those things and to allow that to impact how we're living or not living for God, which in turn impacts our eternity. Oh, I like this song. Turn your eyes 
upon Jesus. Set your affection, what? On things above, not on things on the earth. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth, what? Will go strangely dim. See, we're too focused on these things down here. We live on this earth, so we have to, we have to understand how things we, have to, we have to live here. But remember, our focus ought to be up. Someone once said, problems are opportunities and work clothes. <laughs> no one likes problems. In opposition to the goals they have in life, but it is through the opposition that we grow stronger. God never gives us more than we can bear and always supplies his grace to accompany them. They are not given to destroy us, but to build us. He tells a story, I don't have time to tell it. He tells a story of how he was lifting weight and, and uh, he was on a bench press where some college boys were there in the college and, and uh, he, he listed the last, I think he did the 15th rep and he put it down. He was, about to, he was about to get off and the boys ran over there to him and said, come on, Dr. Getch, one more. Come on, do it, do it. You know, they're yelling at him. And so he tried, and man, he tells a story. He finally gets it up and boy, he's quivering. He puts it down. He's walking to his car. He can barely walk. And the illustration is, he says, as, as I reached my car and drove home, I thought that is exactly what God does in our lives. He allows opposition to come into our lives to build us. We can just throw the weight down and quit and become like the world. We could do that. But our spiritual muscles, if we do, will go into atrophy and die. Or we can grab a hold of the weight of the opposition and with God's encouragement and help, build that spiritual muscle. He's always there. We'll never allow the opposition to crush us, only to build us. One verse, and I'm done. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. That favorite part of the whole verse. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Don't let opposition steal your joy. The opposition is going to be there. It always will be. Don't let it steal your joy. Let it strengthen your joy. Let God use it to help you. Maybe you felt... Maybe you let fleshly carnality rob you of your joy. May I encourage you tonight, get that joy back. If the devil robbed your joy, grab it back from him. Stop living in the flesh. That doesn't bring you joy. Live in the ongoing steadfastness of serving God and let the joy come back into your life.